This is Battery Life, presented by First Ohio Battery. We're back for another episode of Battery Life. Uh, once again, I am joined by Rob Mixer. A little later on, I will be joined by Kyle Morrison. But for now, we're going to go over the trade deadline. We haven't recorded in almost two weeks at this point, but we want to be able to make sure and encapsulate everything that has gone down. And, Rob, it was a pretty big day for the Blue Jackets, don't you think? Yeah, I would say it's uh, one of the more uh, exciting, uh, captivating, interesting, and uh, polarizing trade deadlines they've ever had in their existence. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. I mean, there's there's so many different perspectives that we've seen people have, and um, both you know, in support of what the Blue Jackets have done, um, and then also people with some, uh, some, I think, merited skepticism. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty big day, and they've definitely set themselves up for uh, quite the stretch run here. Yeah, and I, I mean, we go over to the players, I guess, at this point. But, I mean, each player each has their own significant way to contribute to the team. I think the one that I, we have to talk about first is the one that kind of set the dominoes in motion, uh, Matt Duchesne. What did you make of that trade? How do you think that, you know, how is he going to fit with the team moving forward? And what do you think overall about his possible long-term plans with the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets? Well, the first thing I thought was, you know, it's it's probably the culmination of a two-year-plus quest by Yarmo Kekalainen to get Matthew Shane uh, to Columbus. Uh, this mm-hmm. dates back before he was traded to Ottawa. The Blue Jackets were right in the thick of it to get him uh, from the Colorado Avalanche before he was traded, like I said, to the Ottawa Senators. And, it, it, you know, Yarmo talked about it uh, last week after he made the deal is, you know, he's had his eye on Matthew Shane even before he was with the Blue Jackets. He scouted him heavily in that 2009 draft when he went third overall and has always liked his game and felt that he would be a pretty good fit for how they play. Um, and obviously fills a, a big time need for them center and uh, gives them a, a dynamic player. And to add into Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, not sure what's going on with Alexander Wenberg, but he figures into that mix somewhere too. Boone Jenner, Riley Nash, Brandon Dubinsky, all capable of playing center. So, uh, and it, it just gives them so many options. And you can see in the first couple of games he's played why uh, they were so keen to acquire him and uh, why the acquisition cost was quite rich in some respects is that, you know, he's an elite player. And um, it, it, as far as his long term prospects go, what, what, what strikes me is that I have a hard time believing that the Blue Jackets make this deal, including a first-round pick guaranteed and then a conditional pick uh, in 2020, if they don't at least have some kind of an idea that Matthew Shane is amenable to the to the concept of re-signing with the Blue Jackets. It, it might not happen today. It might not happen after the season. It might happen, you know, after he goes to the market and the Blue Jackets make their pitch. Um, and he comes back and says, I think this is where I want to be. So they have, in many ways, kind of a two-pronged uh, scenario here where they've acquired him to make this run uh, that they want to go on. And they've you know, obviously added some other guys too, but he was the key piece uh, 
like you said, that, that set this whole thing in motion. Uh, so on, on one hand, they've got him playing a significant role. You know, he's on their top line um, to push them into the postseason. And on the other hand, there's kind of this like pseudo sales pitch from the entire organization um, to convince him to stay here. So uh, I, I think that becomes uh, a focus of theirs as this goes along. It, 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 you know, it's still so early and, you know, we're talking in the last 24 hours about him charting a private jet with his wife, his son, and his dog, and Ryan Dezingle even to get back to Columbus to be able to play tomorrow night. Uh, so there's just a lot going on. I think it's it's still kind of uh, frenetic and, and crazy in his life right now where they just want to let him get his feet wet and get going here and feel comfortable in Columbus before this talk of, you know, potentially signing a contract extension even takes place because uh, that's absolutely going to be one of their top objectives going into the summer, if not their top objective, considering how keen uh, the GM has been on getting the player and the need that he fills for them going forward. Yeah, it seems like overall that's what they – he was he was the piece. He's obviously very dynamic. Even on a lowly Senators team, he was making a difference night in, night out. And I think if you place him, I mean, they've been playing him on the first line, but I feel like you could even place him on the second or third line on the Blue Jackets, and you could make one of the most uh, sensational, uh, you know, center groups in the entire league when you think about it. Because it's like you could put Dubois, yeah. not mess with that first line whatsoever, and then you could put Duchesne with uh, Felino and Anderson – and then you look at that third line, and you just go down there and you go, "Oh my gosh, that's a that's a line of uh, Ryan Dezingle and uh, Boone Jenner and uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand." It's like there's not a lot of third lines out there that have the offensive prowess that they can easily like both each of those players can put up anywhere from forty to maybe sixty points an entire season. That's just unbelievable and not really heard of in the modern NHL. And I think that's one of the most important parts of this is that on offense they really, 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 really went for what the their philosophy is. You know, pushing forward, yeah. being very, very fast with the puck, having it on your stick, but also being able to make plays outside of scoring. And I think that's why they went for the players that they did. I don't think necessarily they're like, oh, we did it with Ottawa. Might as well do it with Ottawa again. I think that Ryan Dezingle's a fast, fast player. He can think on, on his toes, and I think because of it, that makes him just an absolute difference maker. And then you think of Matt Duchesne. It doesn't matter if he was in Colorado or Ottawa. He was fantastic as well. I think, I mean, what, what do you make of the Dezingle move? I mean, that's uh, interesting because he went to Ohio State and then now he's obviously coming back. That feels like it's an easier path for him to sign. Because the two are obviously good friends, you almost feel like they're, that almost become a package deal, almost similarly to how the Artemi Panarin and Sergei yeah. Bobrovsky uh, information has come down to us where they say that may be a pa- package deal as well. Yeah, it, it, to me, the first thing I thought of when they finalized this deal and it was announced and, you know, we're analyzing it and checking out the reaction. To me, it felt like the Blue Jackets had kind of learned their lesson from last year's playoff exit where if you look at the Washington Capitals, and granted, that's a team that won the Stanley Cup, and even the Pittsburgh Penguins team that knocked them out in 2017, uh, those are deep teams up front. Mm-hmm. Um, like seven, eight, nine forwards deep of guys that can score – in the 10 to 20 goal range. And in some cases more with their top guys, like the Washington Capitals have Brett Connolly and Devontae Smith Pelly uh, and guys like, like Laura Zeller in their top nine group of forwards. And in, in some cases in their fourth line. Yeah. So 
to me that it, it, it just felt like a um a move that spoke of hey we understand where our shortcomings are you might not think we need a forward but we have guys that have not played to the level that we think they can play I, I think Wenberg comes to mind Oliver Bjorkstrand's been up and down they had the Anthony Duclair experiment which as we noticed didn't work out so guys that they've counted on to to supply that secondary offense outside of Josh Anderson and in, it, at sometimes Boone Jenner just haven't done it so they needed to get a little deeper and a little more skilled up front and and that is the impetus for for adding a player like Ryan Dezingle is in the playoffs when you're going up against these big top teams, the the, the Tampa's and the Pittsburgh's and the, and the Washington's is that you need to be able to become your own uh, matchup nightmare. Like you think of the Capitals last year were kind of a matchup nightmare as that series went on is a bunch of different guys, you know, obviously Alex Ovechkin got hot. Right. And, their goaltending improved once they made the switch, but they had a lot of guys putting the puck in that. Brett Connolly, like I said, Lars Eller, Smith Pelly scored one of the biggest goals in the series. Um, it, it, the depth up front, the ability to to count on multiple different guys for offense, uh, is what the Blue Jackets needed. Um, and I think that you know it seems crazy to think that because they are one of the top scoring teams in the league, um, but that's what they needed to do and I'm glad to see them be proactive in that regard yeah and I mean I'm glad that they were proactive on the forward market I I like what they did getting a top six player and then you have this England as a middle six player I don't think you should ever really pay too many assets for bottom bottom pairing defensemen and fourth line uh forwards I think they like what they have with Riley Nash even though he's had a slow start I think after you, after a lot of slack battles, <laughs> is how we'll describe them discussing Riley Nash and what his impact is. I think you know you kind of just has to take him as he is, and if you put someone like Eric Robinson who's hitting posts night after night, it's gonna he's gonna get his first goal any I feel like any night now. And then you put uh, Brandon Dubinsky who has an uh, you know everlasting motor. That's not a bad fourth line, but I thought that they may be able to add somebody there that like you know that could have been in a little more offensive dynamo. But I still think if you put those forward lines up against anybody, they may the Blue Jackets are come they're going to come out on top more often than not. Um, adjusting over to defense though, Ryan Murray is out. Um, the bottom pairing for the Blue Jackets has been uh, Dean Kukan and Scott Harrington. They acquired Adam McQuaid um, for a fourth round pick, a seventh round pick. And Julius Bergman, who uh, was acquired uh, via in the uh, Duchesne trade, and they all go to the New York Rangers. I think you know at this point, after talking in the uh, Slack chat, that I wasn't the biggest fan of the trade itself. Um, I know why they did it. They needed somebody on the PK who cleaned the uh, net front. Um, they needed a guy who's rough and tumble. The somebody because a lot of the players that are on the Blue Jackets right now don't fit that mold. I think Scott Harrington and maybe David Savard may fit that mold the most. And even at that point, they're pretty borderline at best. And I think Adam McQuaid is a little bit of a throwback. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be utilized a whole lot, but he feels like he could be somebody that in a pivotal matchup or if they need somebody to come up with a big penalty kill, they're going to end up putting him out on the ice. What is your uh, th- What are your thoughts, rather, on the uh, Adam McQuaid uh, acquisition? Uh, I think it's the product of what could, could best be described as a down market for an offensive at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think that ideally they would have liked to acquire a player that is more along the lines of Ryan Murray, who is a top four guy. There, there just weren't that many available. Mm, um, not at all. 
And no, I mean, you didn't see, I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head, many big names on defense move. I mean, Jake Muzzin's the big one, uh, but that was a uh, month, a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the rental market, the trade market for defensemen was uh, not that great this year. And I think that, you know, the, the, in terms of rental D, I mean, Adam McQuaid's one of the names that, you know, a lot of people talked about being connected to the Blue Jackets just because they have an obvious need. Uh, and, and he's one of the, uh, I mean, reasonably cheap guys to get mm-hmm. on the trade market. It's just not a lot out there. So um, I think he feels a need in that they'll be able to maybe balance out their pairings a little bit uh, with Ryan Murray out there, a bit top heavy. Uh, and the two games they've played without him so far. Um, but, I mean, you can't replace Ryan Murray in a, after the year that he's had. So mm-hmm. they're just looking to Adam McQuaid to to be a, a steady veteran guy. He's only 32. So, I mean, I, 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 I think if you've got him in like a, a 12 to 14, 15 minutes a night range, I think that's going to that's gonna be just, just fine. Um, and he's – we often kind of roll our eyes a little bit in, in terms of how fighting and physicality has kind of uh, been pushed out of the game a little bit, but there, there is something to be said for having that element, especially on your back end in the playoffs, when you got to protect your goaltender, you got to protect the front of your net. Uh, that that's Adam McQuaid. That's his game. He was a big part of the Bruins runs over the last few years, uh, bringing that element to their team. So I think the blue jackets wanted an, wanted something like that they don't have a player like that on their blue line right now they don't have a player on their roster really like that right now so um you know i wouldn't say it's it's sorely needed but it's an added benefit to having a veteran defenseman that didn't cost you a whole lot um and can give you some some serviceable shifts and and some quality minutes um while you wait for one of your top players to to get back in the lineup uh, and we really don't know what that prognosis is for Ryan Murray. You know, we've mm-hmm. o- only heard from the coach that uh, he's out for a little while. So, uh, and I think Yarmulke Hecklinen used similar terms in his post-trade deadline press conference is that they just don't know mm-hmm. how long they're going to be without him. So, um, you know, it, it, in my mind, it's a sensible move. I would have liked a different player. Uh, maybe a uh, more rounded player, but hey, I mean they they got what they got, and they're going to have to use it. Um, and I think that they'll be able to deploy him in a way that takes advantage of what he's good at um, and allows them to continue in their rotations and using their top defensemen as they have been. Oh, for sure, I definitely think that's a. Uh, they're not. Gonna, I don't think they're going to use him more than a dozen or so minutes a night. I think they're going to have a couple of penalty kills. They may use him in full force during that time. And I think when they need a defensive stop later on in the uh, in a period or in the third or at the end of the game, they may put him out there to you know maybe whack the head off of somebody. But I don't think it's gonna be you know minutes right. where they put him out on the power play or they're gonna put him in the offensive zone with Artemi Panarin out there. And no, no. Him like oh my gosh, what is this pass? What is going on? How how is this even the outcome that we're you know we're getting here? I don't I just don't see that being the case. Uh, I think the part right. that. On my end, that was I was kind of confused on. I think they just wanted to get their defenseman was the price that they ended up paying, which was a, a prospect, you know, borderline prospect, uh, and then a middle round pick and a late round pick. 
And we've at this point we've talked about how the middle round, late round picks, you know, they're pretty much a crapshoot when it comes out uh, when it comes out to it. But I mean, when you think of the way uh, how Yarmo Kekalainen uses those middle uh, middle round draft picks, it's it's almost like a precious commodity in a way. Uh, he just yeah. needs to, he just needs oh, to feed, yeah. be able to make it happen. But you you get worried about uh, how that may be affecting them going forward. But I think as part of the all in philosophy, it makes sense. I think. It it, do, it it does. I don't think it's necessarily the best execution, but I think uh, the philosophy wise, it makes a lot of sense. Now, part of it, the part of the all in as well that I think um, made this uh, an all, another interesting deadline is that they're keeping three goalies. So they're going to have Keith Kincaid, yeah. Jonas Corposalo, and um, Sergei Bobrovsky. I think on their end that they're going to have a. Pr- uh, the, the more I start to think about this, I think they're going to have a quick trigger finger. If they go into the playoffs and they see Sergey Bobrovsky give up four goals within two periods, that that's my thought process, uh, at least because they're going to be like, okay, we don't think Jonas Corposal can handle that workload just yet. He's not necessarily a spring chicken anymore, but Keith Kincaid has seen the playoffs, and you know, even though he's not a world beater by any stretch, if we can at least get league average goaltending, we'll be okay with that. And I think that if they can spell him down the stretch and they can, you know, get some uh, at least passable starts. I think that they're going to be completely happy with that, and I think that if an injury goes down, they're going to feel confident with Kincaid as well. I think there's just uh, he's the ultimate uh, back pocket weapon on their end, and they don't want to. Uh, they did. They didn't. I don't think they didn't necessarily feel comfortable enough with Corposalo to put him in a position uh, where he may have to be the man, and you know he may end up being it very soon. But it just feels like the Kincaid move was uh, a way that you know the vote of confidence isn't there just yet. Yeah, it it felt like a little bit of both kind of the things you both mentioned, Sam, is that right off the bat, you, you look at that as kind of an indictment on Jonas Corpozalo's inconsistency. Um, if he's a consistent, more consistent player than he's been this year, they probably don't need to make that move. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't know what they're going to get from Jonas Corpozalo. And we're going down the stretch here and you're going to get into the playoffs where quite honestly, they don't know what they're going to get from Sergey Bobrovsky in the playoffs. Mm. So you, you need an insurance policy um, to give you that stability or that. I mean, I don't even know if it's, it's comfort or insurance, but just knowing that you have another option to turn to um, if things go wrong or even down the stretch to be able to, give him some starts because they're going to need wins. Um, Mm -hmm. And even on nights when Bob's not playing, uh, they still need to win. And they have a very heavy schedule the last two months of the regular season. Um, A busy schedule. A busy busy schedule the last two months of the season. Um, So they're going to need to work him in there. And by him, I mean Keith Kincaid. So, I mean, I have no idea. Uh, how many games he's going to play. I don't know what his role is going to be, but um, you're right in that, you know, they, they've got that option now where they don't have to think, Oh God, like, you know, Bob played last night. I'm not really sure about Corpy. We, we need a win. They, they've got this guy now that, that they can put him in there and give him an opportunity. Uh, he's had a down year, a very down year, but he played on a team that has had a colossally down year. So uh, the, the Devils were a playoff great. team last I, I, year. I feel like that has no, been no, much, they, like, over hasn't been stated as much. 
is that, you know, even though they're moving pucks and even though they're scoring <coughs> some goals on the back end, especially Ryan Murray, I feel like there's just been so many times where the high danger chances are just sitting there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of you know, home runs to be hit because the, the, the crease isn't being cleared out. And I feel like, you know, if somebody's running into Bob or someone's running into Corpusalo, Kincaid is a good backup plan to have as, uh, as part of it. Yeah, we've definitely seen teams be more aggressive in that regard. We saw it um, Saturday against San Jose. We saw it last week as well, where teams are getting to the front of the net on the Blue Jackets. And I'm sure that'll be a focus, and I'm sure a guy like Adam McQuaid can lead by example there too. But I also wonder, on the other hand, how Keith Kincaid fits and if he does into the larger picture. We pretty much assume, barring, you know, barring some kind of last-minute change of heart that Sergei Bobrovsky's last season in Columbus will be this one mm-hmm. when it's over. Um, and then there's a big question mark as to who your next guy is. I don't think Kincaid's a number one. Um, I think he's a great number two. Uh, the kind of number two that they need if, say, an Elvers Mers-Lickens comes over and proves he's ready to handle the bulk of the workload or – uh, if they go external and acquire a goaltender in the summer, uh, that's more of a number one. And they have Keith Kincaid to work him in as number two, which would then spell the end for Jonas Corpusalo, which, you know, you, you kind of wonder about that. Uh, at what point are the Blue Jackets prepared to say, okay, this just isn't working here. We're, we're going to move you along and give you another opportunity somewhere else. Um you know, because he, he's yet to seize the opportunity. He's yet to put his flag in the ground and say, I am a number one and I am your guy in the future. That He's given them no reason to believe that's the case. So they now have to go externally and they've brought in one guy already. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows if he – there is a very plausible scenario in, in which the Blue Jackets, two goaltenders at the NHL level next year, uh, are two guys who – we have not seen here at all at any point previously. Uh, these could be two new faces, and Keith Kincaid might be one of them. Um, you know, he makes a shade over a million dollars this year. Um, that's a pretty reasonable price with a slight pay bump to be a backup, a number two guy uh, going forward. And if they get another number one, then I think that's a pretty good tandem um, and a pretty good start to what we assume to be life after Sergey Bobrovsky. Without a doubt. Well, that's kind of where we're going with our Blue Jacket stuff here. I want to talk about the NHL just for a second. I only got one question before we go over to Kyle. I guess what is the move overall that kind of made you scratch your head and think, huh, I was not thinking that this was going to happen. Was there a trade there that kind of like th- th- threw you off, took you by surprise at all? Um, yeah, I'll say the Mark Stone trade to Vegas for the sole reason that I felt like uh, the big Canadian teams, the Calgarys and the Winnipegs, would have been able to step up and um, get that deal done before the Vegas Golden Knights did. Mm-hmm. Um, now they've extended but, it. Yeah, and what I think got that done for Mark Stone, as far as the extension goes, is that they pretty much went to the Mint and said, nobody on the open market is going to give you probably more than nine and a half. Um, we'll give you nine and a half times eight because we're trading for you now. Um, so here's like, what do you think about $76 million? Um, <laughs> he said, uh, so yes, for Mark Stone, that's pretty hard said. to say no to. <laughs> How 
How how how can you yeah. say no to seventeen yeah, million I, guaranteed? Oof. Right, right. I mean, you're not getting that on July first unless you're making over ten million dollars a year annually, mm-hmm. uh, which seems like a long shot. Even though Mark Stone's a heck of a player, um, you know, ten plus million dollars on the open market is reserved for guys like John Tavares. So yeah. um, I think Mark Stone's an elite player, but. You know, I think $11 million for John Tavares is what we would consider to be fair. Um, and it would be a surprise if Mark Stone got to that level on the open market. So, But, yeah, I, I was surprised that Vegas was able to pull it off, one, at the acquisition cost, not including a first-round pick. Um, and I, I think – I, I don't know. I, the, the only thing I can think of there in terms of Ottawa not getting a first-rounder is that they got the prospect they wanted. Um from Ottawa uh, or yeah, from, from Vegas, I'm sorry. And um, Eric Brandstrom. And it, I, that's all, that's all I can think of it is that perhaps a, a first round pick was on the table. Uh, if Ottawa wanted a different prospect, but if they wanted this one, um, then they were going to get a second round pick. So uh, the return seemed a bit light, especially because Mark Stone came with a contract extension. Um I wasn't so much surprised Vegas was in it. I was surprised they were the ones to get it done. Definitely. And it seemed like even though Eric Branson was a great player, they had a second-round pick, and then obviously uh, Lindbergh as well, it just felt like uh, after you heard what the Panarin ask was or the Stone ask was that it felt like another prospect or maybe even another pick was going to be in there for that. And it felt like a slightly overwhelming or underwhelming rather, just because stone was hyped up on that tier. And I mean, if if you look at this now, there wasn't even any conditions to whether or not he's going to resign. It was just like, this is what it is. And we know he is going to resign with you, which I think is kind of wild in its own right. I have two trades on my end that I want, uh, that I think were kind of interesting. Don't necessarily need to, you know, uh, speak ad nauseum on them, at least on my part was the Kevin Fiala from Mikhail Grandlin trade. I thought that was a smart little piece of business from the wild because I, yep. I like Fiala. I think Grandland on there, and the, while he is still useful, I don't think he's going to be able to do anything for the wild uh, because it's just, you know, he's, he's got a few years left where he's going to be the man. And I think uh, moving to Fiala and kind of almost restarting that clock was a smart little move from them. Um, and the Predators are very yeah. much now in win now mode. And I think Kevin Hayes going to uh, Winnipeg. We talked about how the Blue Jackets, when you put uh, Dezingle and you put Deshane in the lineup, you just shift players down and it just becomes that much better. But I think you put Kevin Hayes in there and you look at the people who are in the third line for the Jets and you're like, holy moly. <laughs> that, 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 those are the players that are in their oh, third yeah. line? And I think yeah. that's... Yeah, and keep his name in line too. I mean, it, it, if Kevin Hayes goes to the open market, which it, it sounds like he's going to do, I think the Blue Jackets would be a team that has a lot of interest in him on sure. July 1st uh, to add a top center. If they're not, if they're not able to get something done with Matthew Shane, I think Kevin Hayes is probably one of their first calls. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Well, Rob, I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to head over to Morrison's minutes and I'm glad we were able to get this in uh, and uh, talk a little bit about the trade deadline while we all kind of were still all over the place. Sam. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Hey guys, it's Rob. Just a reminder that you can get First Ohio Battery gear at the 11 Warriors Dry Goods Store. Just visit drygoods.11warriors.com and click on the First Ohio Battery selection. And we 
we are back, and I am joined by Kyle Morrison for another edition of Morrison's Minutes. This time, it is a trade trade deadline version of the Morrison's Minutes, so it could be Blue Jackets related, it could be NHL related. I haven't asked him any of these questions pre uh, before this, so um, who knows what we're gonna get? But I'm a little bit, I'm pretty excited. Uh, Kyle, yeah, one for us? it's been a while. It has been a while. Almost it's uh, it's. I'll just dive right in. So. First, uh, first hot take here, and it, it has been a while, so they're kind of, you know, they've built up, and you know, there's a, uh, there's gonna be, you know, might be a little bit more, a little bit spicier than usual here, but, so I wrote about, you know, two thousand words, give or take, on the site this week about why I thought they should still trade Bobrovsky and Panarin, and, you know, the big disclaimer there was that Panarin's trade, if, if they were going to do it, would have to basically bring on you know, his replacement and a first rounder. So obviously that didn't happen. And, you know, I think uh, anyone who maybe read that piece might expect me to be kind of upset at the lack of trades of those two guys today. But my hot take here is that uh, I am not a smart man and Yarmo Kekalainen is. So <laughs> I think that if, <laughs> I'm sure that if that kind of a deal was on the table at any point that he would have pulled the trigger, uh, and I don't think it ever was because if you look at what Vegas got for Mark Stone, you know, I thought it was kind of an underwhelming, even though they got a really good prospect out of it, I thought it was kind of an underwhelming return. And you, know, you can make the argument that the Blue Jackets would have more leverage in a Panarin deal than Ottawa did with Stone. But at the same time, there was an extension involved. So that kind of balances it out. But you know, I think overall, you know, adding two guys who, um, you know, prediction here, I think both of them, are definitely going to, uh, you know, extend beyond this season. Uh, I, I think that's, you know, a huge win and that Yarmo really was the star of this trade deadline. And, you know, you kind of, you kind of won't be over with those moves. I don't know. I mean, obviously it would be nice to get that return, but if that was a possibility, it would have happened. So kind of Zen, I guess it's a, not really a hot take, but no, you know, close enough. I like it. I told Rob this uh, in the previous segment. I said, I think for the most part, I think he pretty much did A-plus on the forwards. I think he did about B-minus on the uh, uh, goalies, and I think uh, he did about C-plus on the defensemen. And like uh, When you can kind of outline what the Blue Jackets need, I think that they ended up getting their needs. They needed a more rough-and-tumble defenseman. They needed a goaltender that was a pretty fairly consistent Kincaid hasn't been doing so well this year, but the Devils have been pretty horrendous. But previously, league average goaltender across the board. And then you take into consideration what Duchesne and Dezingle are able to do in the modern NHL. And they're just fast, 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 goal-scoring type players. I just You can just see what, what they're trying to do uh, you know, after the fact. But in the moment, you're kind of like, what is going on here? So it, it, <laughs> it makes a whole lot of sense looking back on it. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, with all of that in mind, and the deadline being over, I am going to throw out, you know, and this might be a little jarring coming on the heels of what wasn't really a super hot take, but I'm going to throw out maybe the spiciest or hottest take that uh, I've ever had on this podcast. And, you know, that alone is kind of a meta hot take on my own hot takes. But Mm -hmm. um, so here we go. Ready? So now that the trade deadline is over, this is going to sound crazy. And just bear with me here for a second. I think that the Blue Jackets will still end up trading away one or both of the Russians at some point. Now, it'll come in the form, if it does happen, of one of those you know, post-playoff trades that is just about giving a team an exclusive negotiating window. But those trades always just bring back like you know, one or two like mid-to-late-round picks 
And with the Blue Jackets, you know, needing to recoup those picks somehow, um, you know, knowing that neither one of those guys are likely to re-sign at all, mm-hmm. you know, if there's a team out there that, you know, wants to take a stab at getting both guys signed to extensions if they are package deal or try to convince one of them to not do the package deal thing. Um, you know, I think one of those teams could try to, you know, move a draft pick or two during that window and, you know, try to get a few days to try to talk, uh, you know, one of those players out of it. And, you know, the Blue Jackets did something like that. Um, you know, actually a few years ago, kind of a throwback here, but it was, uh, I believe in 2014, they shipped Nikita Nikitin to Edmonton mm-hmm. so that they could, so Edmonton could sign an extension with them. Um, and one of the teams out there, actually, it's been connected to both guys a lot. And that I also, you know, wrote a very long thing about potentially both of those guys landing there uh, is the Florida Panthers. And the Panthers did one of those exclusive negotiating window sort of trades for a pending UFA, uh, actually even more recently than the Blue Jackets did the Nikita Nikitin one, because they went out and they gave up a sixth round pick and a fourth round pick to the Rangers for uh, Keith Yandel a few summers ago. So, you know, it's something that wouldn't be unprecedented for that front office. And it's something that, you know, they have the picks to do it. They have the motivation. And if you let both of those guys get to market, you know, I know that they probably feel confident about their chances, but I don't know if they want to really, you know, go up against those New York teams or go up against a team like LA for Panarin. So, you know, they have nine picks this year and, you know, depending on conditions, they could have nine picks the following year. If not, they have eight right now. Um, you know, so that I think could be a, you know, I know it's been beaten to death, but that could be a trade destination. And that wouldn't be the way most people were envisioning it. But mm-hmm. I think that that is going to be one of those kind of sneaky moves that, uh, you know, that Yarmo could do to uh, get some of those draft picks back. It was very interesting when he was talking about in his like post trade deadline trade deadline pro, uh, press conference talking about you know I'm not too worried about the picks I'm gonna get back the picks and it's like okay I see what you're saying but uh, <laughs> what what are you actually saying here <laughs> Yeah exactly but, and but that, that, you know, what, if, what if you're Keith saying Yandel can get yeah if Keith Yandel can get a fourth and a sixth round pick you know Florida has three fourth round picks just in this upcoming draft so you know if Columbus says hey you know, take your biggest swing at, you know, Bobrovsky and Panarin. I mean, that's something where, you know, they could throw a couple of those mid-round picks. And, you know, as we just, you know, we saw, uh, I forget who it was that uh, the tweet about it. It was one of the, like the, the hockey Twitter you know, analytics community sort of people, um, you know, talking about how value you buy draft slot after like the first 16 picks is kind of crapshoot. It's more about quantity. So, you know, it's a good way to get some of that quantity back. Doesn't have to be a first rounder. Yeah, exactly. And they, there's just so much there that I think that they can do. And, I mean, you they take into consideration uh, Sonny Milano. You take into consideration however the heck they feel about uh, Alex Wenberg after this. And so I feel like there's just a lot of ways that they can go. And I think overall uh, the Blue Jackets are, you know, sitting pretty one way or another. I don't I don't think it's a bad move whatsoever. Um, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Uh, let's hear hot take number three for you. Yes, he actually mentioned the uh, the subject of hot take number three here. So I am officially going out on a limb here and predicting a renaissance for one Alexander Benberg. Um, it could even be dubbed a uh, a renaissance, for oh. for example, if you wanted to uh, to get punny with it here. So you look at the lineup right now; it is just like stupid deep. I mean, you're going to have. Um, you know, guys on the fourth line who on no other Blue Jackets team would play on the fourth line. 
you know, most of these guys could be like, you know, second or third line type players. You know, if you put them on any other Columbus Blue Jackets team in history. So you have a couple of options with Lundberg. You know, they're either going to, you know, they could put him back, you know, kind of where he was at that number three center spot and put Boone Jenner on his wing. And, you know, that's something that worked very well last year. You know, our own Dan Ducart, who is way, way smarter than I am, suggested me putting him at the wing. (laughs) He is seriously like way, way, way too smart. He makes me feel stupid all the time. So thank you, Dan Ducart. I say he's an accountant Um, and he knows more about hockey than any uh, any of us. It's it's not fair, right? Right. Hey, some, some guys have it all, man. Exactly. Um, but but he suggested, you know, maybe putting him at left wing, um, you know, seeing if he can spark that offense. We were talking about today in Slack, though, somewhere where he could really fit, given how Boone Jenner's grown into that center role and, you know, how much depth they already have at wing. I mean, he'd make one hell of a fourth line center, you know, in mm-hmm. the playoff run. And a guy, you know, he's a guy who can already, he's a great penalty killer. Um, you know, offensively, he's kind of a shell of who he once was, but at the same time, you know, you look every playoffs, there's one team that has some depth guys that really, you know, step up and a great fourth line, especially one that can shut down, you know, a scoring line. I mean, that, that's a huge asset in the playoffs. And, you know, the reason why Tortorella kept him, you know, going, um, you know, for so long and, you know, what, while at the same time he was scratching a guy like Anthony Duclair is because, you know, his skating is good. His positioning without the puck is good. You know, he's still a smart player who can play, you know, really good defensive minutes if he has to. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think he's going to, you know, be a real luxury for the Blue Jackets as kind of a shutdown, you know, fourth-line center. And if you start, you know, kind of speculating who some of those line mates are going to be, um, you know, he's going to have someone on one of his wings who's going to be, you know, way too good – just like he is to be, you know, a fourth liner um, or, or seen as a player who is, you know, some of his parts is much more than what their role is going to be in the playoffs. And, you know, that could be, you know, Eric Robinson, who has been spectacular over the last mm-hmm. few games. It could be Nick Foligno if, you know, he ends up kind of losing his spot to Robinson. Um, you know, and he obviously has scored, you know, some pretty big playoff goals or scored the one really huge playoff goal a few years back. So, you know, that's, you know, that, that is a player who, you know, he's played a lot with Lundberg and having them in a fourth line role where they're just out there to bring energy and, you know, shut down another team's line, you know, maybe, maybe they'll kind of catch a uh, catch favorable matchup every once in a while, be able to, you know, keep some possession. And then, you know, that other spot, like that final, you know, 12th forward spot would then be kind of up in the air. So that could be, you know, a guy like Riley Nash, who, you know, hasn't had a very good year, but, maybe he finally would get going on that line just by virtue of, you know, being with way better line mates than he's had the luxury of playing with this year. Um, you know, that's kind of what got him going in Boston. It could be Brandon Dubinsky. And then that way you have a guy who can take a huge face off and needed down the stretch or, you know, in a late in the game in the playoffs, uh, he also brings that physical presence. It could be Marcus Hanekainen, who's you know kind of grown a lot on me this year, just watching his game. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, Wenberg is going to end up being kind of like a staple on that fourth line, rebuild some of his value, um, you know, be a huge, huge luxury and a big asset to the Blue Jackets down the stretch. And then, you know, maybe he builds up his value enough where they can flip him for, you know, some nice picks at the, uh, at the draft. And, you know, maybe he starts to get some more faith, uh, you know, kind of gets, starts to win the organization back over and goes into a bigger role next year. I can definitely say, without a doubt, no matter if uh, you know Wenberg is not shooting, Wenberg would be the most talented fourth liner I think in the entire NHL. I feel pretty comfortable saying. That. Yeah, exactly. 
So, I mean, that's something where, you know, we'll, we'll go from talking about you know, a few weeks ago, we were talking about how the Blue Jackets had one line that they could rely on and come playoff time uh, against a field of teams where, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, I don't think anyone in our, you know, anyone who is in our Slack channel at least wouldn't have probably felt super confident about the Blue Jackets' chances against a lot of these teams. But if you're trying out there, Wenberg out there as a fourth-line center and, you know, potentially a guy like Nick Foligno out there as, you know, a fourth-line left wing and, and, you know, play those guys on special teams if you need to or, you know, it, it's not a line. That, there's not a single line that wouldn't produce or a line that you would have to shelter. So, you know, I think that would then, you know, in that regard, Yarmo has turned the team's biggest weakness into one of its biggest strengths. It's fantastic. And in all honesty, the part about it that uh, I enjoy the most is that, you know, those, none of those are really hot takes. Those uh, we actually had some <laughs> mild takes from uh, Kyle. Do I, do I have to balance it out with like a pop culture thing here to wrap it up? Nope. Nope. That's it. This is all you get. Because <laughs> I had one, I have one here right now. But oh, I don't know. Actually, you've convinced me. Let's hear it. All right. So, hot take here, and admittedly, not a huge uh, Oscars watcher. Um, you know, I do think that television is a superior, uh, superior medium. But I will say this: I think the Oscars need two new categories. Actually, I guess kind of three new categories. But one of them is one that they scrapped this year. They were going to do, which is that popular film category. You know, I know a lot of these like blockbusters aren't thought provoking and they don't like hold a mirror up to our society, but you, know, you can't tell me that a movie like Mission Impossible Fallout or even, you know, Avengers Infinity War, you know, isn't just still like this breathtaking, entertaining, um, you know, just great piece of filmmaking, even if it is kind of like one of those, you know, gross big budget things, you know, there's still just an incredible amount of work that goes into that. I mean, you know, the Academy doesn't even recognize stunts. And if you look at the stunts in like any of the Mission Impossible movies, the amount of work that goes into that is something that, you know, since those awards exist to recognize people doing work in that industry, like that should be an award. And, you know, the point about, you know, oh, well, these movies have big budgets. The budget for Mission Impossible Fallout in the year 2018, when it came out, uh, bigger than the budget that Titanic had back in the 90s. And that movie won Best Picture. So, I don't buy that it's solely a budget thing. So that those two, I think, both need to be there. And then the other one, uh, I saw it on Twitter, and you know, not my idea by any stretch, but a guy on Twitter said to do kind of like a 20-year look back, um, you know, and give an Oscar to, as he put it, the biggest miss from 20 years ago. Um, I like it. Because everyone gets really upset about Oscar snubs. The example he used was Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which actually came out 30 years ago, so you know, it wouldn't really fit the 20-year thing. but you know, looking back on that, that came out in a fairly weak year for uh, Best Picture nominations, and it didn't even get a nomination. And, you know, that's one of those movies, and the Academy should have something that, you know, acknowledges this, one of those movies that was kind of ahead of its time and really became iconic and aged really well. So, you know, I think movies like that do deserve some recognition, and, you know, I don't know if the Academy wants to ever admit that they're wrong about those things, but I think that they should. And if they don't do something like that, then... You're going to have, uh, you know, a lot of these just complete Oscar bait, big budget, like, you know, movies coming out about horses. And, you know, there have already been enough of those. And I'm just not into that because horses are stupid. So, oh, sorry. You're on, for you're, you're on notice, horses. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Battery life, not a horse friendly podcast. We're pro glue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pro glue. Jeez. 
I don't I don't think Pete is going to sponsor this podcast now. Um, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I guess with all of that being said, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iTunes. Leave a comment, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out a whole lot. Gets more eyes and ears on what we are doing here. Um, and I guess, you know, uh, let us know how we're doing overall. If you ever have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, feel free. If you don't like hearing me as much, guess what? You can have... You can have a Rob Mixer episode if you want. I don't know if he wants to do it, but guess what? This is something that we can bring up to him. Um, but I guess with all that being said, remember... Everything I told you is true!